We are in a series uh, talking about work, and we started this series a couple weeks back, so if, uh, if this is your first time here or maybe your first time uh, in this series, I would encourage you to go back and uh, listen to some of those uh, so that you can kind of get the full picture of what we're talking about with work. But, but talking about our work is such an important idea because we spend more time working than any other activity in our lives. We spend more time working than anything else in our lives. So it's a, a huge part of our lives. And, and if you're a Christian, it's a huge part of understanding faith because if you don't understand faith and how that connects to your work, then it's really hard to actually understand how faith connects to your life since it's the biggest part of our lives. So, so we've been talking about this idea. We talked about kind of God's purpose for work, and we talked about overworking. And today we're just talking about the fact that work is hard, that work is hard. And that might be because you have a difficult boss. Uh, that might be because you are a difficult boss. Uh, that, that might be because you have a difficult team that you, that you work with, and, and maybe they're not pulling their weight on the team, or maybe your work is hard just because it's boring. Uh, maybe you kind of had dreams or ideas of what you wanted work to be, and now work is just kind of boring. It's just monotonous, or, or, or maybe you feel like in your job, I know I've talked to some of you that feel like, man, my abilities are not being used in my job. I've kind of I've got stuff that I feel like I could bring to the table, but uh, my, those, my supervisors or my bosses, they're not really tapping into that, and so I feel like kind of the abilities I have are being unused. I feel like I was hired and brought on to do a particular job, but then I kind of got tricked, and it's actually this kind of job. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons that, that work can be difficult, whether it's just boring or, or the work itself is, is hard, uh, and all sorts of different things. And, and if you've been here the last couple weeks, or maybe you just kind of have a general understanding of this, you might know that, that work is good. You might know that God created work and it's a good thing. You might know that conceptually, but still in the middle of your work, you can say, man, this is, this is hard. I, I don't like my job. Whether it's because it's hard or because it's boring or joyless or whatever reason, you might know up here, man, work is good and God made work and God has a purpose for my work. But in the middle of your day, in the middle of tomorrow coming up, if you have the normal work schedule that many people have, then you might just say, man, I just don't like my job. So what do I do with that? Man, my work is just hard and I hate Monday. So what do I do with that? And that's what we're going to talk about today because we believe that there is actually hope. What, what can we do with a job that we don't like? What can we do with a job we don't like? Is it just grin and bear it and you got 50 more years and, and then it'll be okay? Um, or is there some hope? Is there a way that we can actually thrive in the middle of a difficult work situation, in the middle of a job that we don't like? So that's what we're going to talk about today. As we, as we get into it, here is the first question that we are going to look, look at, which is just why is our work hard? And maybe you've got names that are coming to your mind of why your work is hard, or maybe you've got reasons uh, why you're thinking that work is hard. But here's what the, the Bible teaches about kind of underneath all the different reasons of, of why our work is hard. What the Bible says, and we looked at this a couple weeks ago, is that, is that work is good. It's a good thing that God made. In the very beginning, in the very beginning when God created the earth, it said work is good. God said he gives it to us. It's, it's a part of how we partner with what he's doing in the world. And like I said, if you, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, I would go back and listen to that so you can just kind of get the big idea. But, but the Bible says work is a good thing that God made. But immediately when sin enters into the world, one of the first effects that it has that God says that is going to happen is our work is going to be affected. So here is what God says to Adam and Eve. He says this is right after they sin, they turn against God. 
It says this, cursed is the ground. And, and remember, they, were, they would have been farmers, so uh, the, the work that's cursed is directly related to kind of an agricultural work, but, but this has implications for all of our work. And it says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Now, this is not the original picture that God painted of work. When God originally told them, this is Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 1, when God gives them work, he says, here's this amazing thing. It's part of how you represent me. I'm making you, and, and I'm actually asking you to join in and do good work in this world. But when they choose to turn against God, one of the immediate effects that that has is that work becomes difficult. Work doesn't go away. They still have to work, and there's still going to be some benefits of work. They're still going to get the bread, and they're still going to get the produce that come, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be thorns and thistles. It's going to be cursed, uh, and this is what we experience in our work, is that it's cursed, that when man and woman sinned, what happened is sin enters into the world, and now work, and you know this, now work is affected by all that sin does. Work is affected by that. So we're personally affected by sin in the sense that, man, just kind of our internal individual, whether that's our self-image or kind of just our, our own sense of who we are, that's affected by sin. That's one of the things that happened in the garden. That socially, uh, that there's effects of sin. This is why there's difficult co-workers and difficult relationships. That some of the effects of sin is people originally are united together and they're working together. And then sin comes in and, and people split. Sin comes in and now there's tension between people instead of harmony between people. Now, one of the things that we talked about the last time with this is one of the things that sin does is we have this uh, before. There's this perfect relationship with God that Adam and Eve had. And then sin comes in and they desire to be like God. They desire to make their own God. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is what leads to a lot of our overwork when we're just kind of driving at our work and putting too much into our work. It's because we're trying to make this name for ourselves. We're trying to make work really into a God. And so what happens is our work is hard because one of the immediate effects, one of the immediate effects of sin when it enters into the world is it doesn't just kind of touch our internal selves or our relationship. It touches our work. Which means even though work is this beautiful, good thing that God made, it is now touched by sin. And so it's always going to be difficult. It's always going to be hard. It's always going to be painful in some, in some ways. And, and one of the key ways that this happens, or kind of underneath, I guess, all of this, is that our work gets disconnected from God. Part of what sin does is it disconnects our work from God. See, because in, in Genesis 1, God says, hey, I'm giving you a job, and it's really connected to him. They, they understand that their job is from him. They understand that their job is for him. They understand that their job is, is a way that they represent him. But one of the things that happens with sin is all of a sudden work becomes this separate thing disconnected from God. It becomes this separate thing that's disconnected from him. And work is hard because now it's connected to sin. It's not, it's not connected to God, if, if that's how we live it out. And so here's the next question. Just what happens when we disconnect our work from God? What happens when we disconnect our work from God? And it can mean, like we looked at a couple weeks, that we overwork. If our work becomes disconnected from God, it can mean that we just put all of our lives into our work. It can mean that we are overworking because we're trying to get a name or a sense of value or identity from our work. It can mean that. But I think maybe even more popular in a place 
like Denver is that it means that we, we actually slack at our work. See, one of the things that happens when we disconnect our work from God is maybe we say, okay, work is my God. But one of the things that happens is we just don't care about work at all. Maybe just say, hey, look, I, I just don't, look, there's beautiful mountains here, and there's lots of stuff to do, and there's lots of stuff to drink, and there's lots of, you know, people to talk to, and I, I can do a lot of fun stuff in Denver, and work is just kind of this necessary evil to fund my fun. I mean, there's a lot of people that move to Denver to get away from kind of stressful work situations, and they come here to play. So one of the things that can happen when we disconnect our work from God is we overwork. But I think, and maybe this isn't true for everybody, but I think that especially in a place like Denver, one of the, the more prominent things that happens is we just kind of slack at our work. And, and I want you to look at this verse. We looked at this a couple weeks ago, but it says this. Paul says to the church in the city of Colossae, he says, whatever you do, work heartily or work with all your heart. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. See, Paul, Paul's writing to the church, and he says, look, I want you, and, and we talked about this verse, whatever you do, whatever your job is, and for some of you, maybe your job is being a mom, and for some of you, maybe your job is being a student, and for some of you, maybe you're, you're, maybe you're retired, and, and your job is fishing, or your job is, uh, uh, or, you know, your job is doing something, maybe you're kind of volunteering a lot in the community, or, or also, whatever, whatever your job is, whether you love it, whether you hate it, whatever your job is, he says, work heartily. And that means do a good job, but it also means work from your heart and with your heart. Work heartily as for the Lord. That's that connection to God. He's saying your work's supposed to be connected to God. It's supposed to be for him and from him and, and in him. Work heartily is for the Lord, not for men. But what I want you to think about is the opposite of this. Because the reason Paul is writing this is because we have a tendency with sin to do the opposite of this. Our, what, what, what sin does is it disconnects our work from God. It disconnects it from God such that Paul would need to say, hey, you need to remember to reconnect your work to God. Because what happens when we disconnect our work from God is the opposite of exactly what Paul said. We, we begin to slack in our work. We begin to slack. It's, we're not working heartily as for the Lord. and We're, we're working mediocrely as for our boss. We're working just kind of whatever, you know, whatever the bare minimum is to get by. That's what we're doing. We're not working heartily. We're often slacking in our work. It, it might be mediocre. It might be, I mean, there's all sorts of statistics on the amount of time that people waste at work. I mean, how much is your employer paying you to scroll Facebook? And how much is he paying to actually do the job that you're being paid to do? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of studies on this that show how much time people are actually using at work, not for work. Because we just kind of do what we want to do. We're, Paul says, here's what happens. Here's what happens when you disconnect your work from God. You don't work heartily. What you do is you just kind of, okay, I'm here. I, I, know I'm supposed to, I know I'm supposed to have a job, so I'll, I'll work and hopefully I'll get paid. But, but we're not showing up thinking, man, I'm working heartily. I'm doing my best. I'm, I'm, I'm actually viewing this as that Jesus is the one that's my boss and that he is the one asking me to do something. I'm just kind of doing the bare minimum. And sometimes people will even say, well, when I, once I have a job I'm passionate about, then I'll put my all into it. Once I have a job that I really care about, once I have that dream job, then yes, I'll work with all my heart. I'll work with all my might. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, whatever you do, whatever job you're in, wherever you find yourself, work with all of your heart. Don't slack. 
Don't be lazy. Work with all of your heart. And, and that's a part of it is actually doing a good job and working hard. But, but if you look at the, the way Paul says work heartily, again, that can mean do a really good job. But it, it can also mean from your heart. And sometimes this is the way we slack it. Maybe it's not that we're slacking in our hands, but we're slacking in our hearts. And here's what this means. It means that, again, it's disconnected from God. It means it's disconnected from God. It means that in our hearts, we're not actually saying, this is, a, this is a job that's connected to who God is. You might even be doing a good job, but your work, the work that you're doing is lazy in heart, meaning your heart is not actively saying, man, this job belongs to Jesus, and I want to use this job to serve Jesus, and I want, I, I'm, I'm actually using, I'm engaging with my heart to say I'm working for Jesus. So what would that mean, and what would that look like? That there's a lazy heart that is just kind of showing up to work and saying, okay, i got to pay the bills. And it's really for ourselves. Again, what happens is we disconnect our work from God, which then means who is work for? It's really just for us. It's to make the money that we want, to be able to play the things that we want to play and do the things that we want to do, which is the exact opposite of what Paul said there. Paul said, whatever you do, work hard at it. Whatever you do, engage in your heart because you're working for Jesus. See, that's very different than an approach that we often have, right? And maybe, maybe some of you are... Maybe some of you are Christians. I know many of you obviously are Christians. And maybe some of you are like, man, I love the church and I'm engaged in the church and I'm involved in the church and that's where my faith counts. But again, most of your life, most of your life is actually at work. And sometimes even for people that are mature Christians and they, man, they love Jesus, it can be really easy to say, well, okay, you know, Work is just kind of this thing, it's a necessary evil, and really the important stuff is church stuff, or the important stuff is Jesus-y stuff, but my work is just kind of my work. But again, that's disconnecting it from God. It's doing the opposite of what Paul said. This is one of the effects of sin. One of the effects of sin is that work and God, they're supposed to be together, but they separate. They separate into this thing that now it's disconnected from God, which might mean work is this idol that we just worship and we're throwing ourselves into. Or it might mean, like we're talking about today, we really don't like our job. We really don't care about our job. We're just kind of disengaged from our job. We're not thinking, man, in my heart, this is a job for Jesus. We're just kind of going along doing the stuff. And it's really for ourselves. It's to fund us. It's, it's something that we think about for us. But here's what that often means then if we're slack or lazy in our, in our work or in our hearts is that work can just be, it can just be a drain. It can just be boring. We, like, we might like, you know, the Saturday and Sunday and the evenings, but Monday through Friday is just a grind that we really don't like. I mean, so many people, you know, there's so many people, I mean, just Monday, I mean, you might be, all, depending on what your job is, how stressful it is, just as the day of Sunday goes on, your stress level starts to increase, because it's like Monday is getting closer and closer and closer. And you hate Monday, and you're there 9 to 5 or whatever, 8 to 6, or I mean, whatever, whatever your job is, and you're there, and you're just staring at a screen, and you're just kind of doing your thing, and it's just like, man, I hate this. There's no joy here. This is boring. That, that becomes the effects of work disconnected from God. Because when our work is disconnected from God, often we're slack in what we do, and we're slack in our hearts. Which means we're joyless. It might mean that we're hopeless. 
might mean we're hopeless. Man, is my work just always, I, I was kind of reading, I was going to post some of these, but they were too depressing, but I was reading kind of through Reddit, and people are just like, man, I hate my job, so am I just supposed to do this for the next 40 years and then quit and, I mean, you know, retire or whatever, and that's it? And so many people, man, there's so many comments on there and so many different posts. I mean, so many people, right, you just, you might hate your job and even just feel hopeless. Of like, man, is this, this is just it? This is life for the next several decades? So let's close there. I'm going to pray and uh, <laughs> you guys can figure it out, you know, so have a good day. So this is what happens when we disconnect our work from God, okay? But, but how can we thrive even when we don't like our work? How can we thrive? Even if we don't like it, even if right now the what I'm describing is what your job is like, even if what I'm describing, and look, that might, you might have a great job that you, that you at one point loved and now it's kind of devolved into this. You might, uh, again, for those of you that are students, maybe this is what school feels like. For those of you that are stay-at-home moms, maybe this is what being a mom feels like. For those of you that are working a job, maybe this is what it feels like for you. Is there a way to thrive even when we don't like our work? I'm not a career coach. Okay, so my job as a pastor is not to help you just, here, let's put up some, here's how you build your resume, and here's how you get a new job, and here's how. What, what I want us to consider is this. Work is cursed, the Bible says. God made it, and it's good, and it's this beautiful thing that we partner with him, but it's cursed. And one of the ways it's cursed is it becomes disconnected from God. And one of the results of that is we just kind of hate it and we're kind of lazy in our job and our hearts are disconnected from God. And, and is there a way to thrive even if you don't like your job? Is there a way to thrive? Is there a way to thrive if you have a boring or a monotonous or whatever kind of job? It is? is there a way to thrive even in the middle of that? Maybe you can read some books that help you change your work and maybe you can get some advice on different, maybe. But can you thrive even if you don't like your work? And maybe this is true for you right now, or maybe this is just something you need to know in the future. Because maybe like, I just got a job. I love it. Yeah, well, let's just wait. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to be bad news. I've just talked to a lot. Of, and maybe you'll always love it. I don't know. So is there a way to thrive? Is there a way to thrive? What if you could find joy? What if you could find, what if you could find joy in your work? I mean, wouldn't this be powerful? What if you could find joy in your work no matter what the job was? What if you could find meaning and purpose in your work no matter what it was? Is there a way to do that? And, and I want to give you a few things that I think can help us with that. The first is this, and, and I'm kind of just going to reference the, the previous sermon, the first one, but is that we have to connect our work to God's work. Look, I don't know what you do. I don't know what all your jobs are in this room, but whatever you do, you have to connect your work to God's work in this world. See, what do you not like about your job? What is, I mean, just think in your head right now. What, what do you not like about your work? Why, why is it hard? Why is it boring? What's the hard parts about your job? What do you not like about it? And probably for most of you, that comes really easy. You're just like, how much time do you, how much time do you have? I, I have a list. Right? For most of us, that's easy to come up with the things that we don't like about our job, Right? But, but let me ask you this question. How does your work connect to God's work? And that might be a little harder to think about. Maybe you have one answer, but you might have a list of answers. You might have 30, 40, 50 answers of what you don't like about your work, but how does your work connect to God's work? I don't know, or I've never thought about that before, or uh, I think I'm helping people. But it's, it's a lot less clear than 
than oftentimes the list of things we don't like about our work. See, if we're ever going to be able to thrive in our work, we have to begin to connect it back to the original purpose that God had for work. If we ever actually want to do a good job in our work and not be lazy in our hearts or lazy in our actions in our work, we have to reconnect our work back to God's work and say, how is it that my job connects to what God is doing in this world? How is it that my job reflects and shows something what God is like? How is it that my work in some way serves and is a part of God's good purposes in this world? If you don't know that, or if, if the realities of the, dis, the, the dislikes of your job and the mundane parts of your job, if that's more real to you than the ways your job connects to God's work, then you're never going to be able to thrive in your work. And I would just encourage you, man, make a list. Like really sit down and write down. This is, this is the ways my job connects to God's work in this world. If you didn't listen to the first sermon, go back and listen to that. Just because, I mean, there's, there's a lot that I could say about that. I'm sorry that I keep kind of referencing uh, my own sermon, but I would <laughs> keep quoting myself. As one pastor said, you know, um, but it's just because there's so much in that that it's hard to unpack today. But I, but I would just say, man, if you don't, like the only way to begin to thrive in a job you don't like, no matter what it is, if it's a boring, you're at a computer, nine to five job, or it's just kind of, we have all these terms, soul sucking, dead end, you know, all these kind of terms for jobs. We don't, whatever it is, you've got to be able to know, how does this connect to what God's doing? Because if that's not real to you, it'll be hard to experience any sort of purpose in there. And then second is the verse that we looked at a minute ago in, in uh, when Paul writes to the church in Colossae, and he says, work with all your heart. See, one of the ways that you begin to thrive in a job, even if you don't like it right now, is just start, stop, stop the laziness or the slack and work hard. See, a lot of times you might be in a job that you don't really like that much, which then you begin to just not really do that good of a job. You do the bare minimum to not get fired or the bare minimum to get by. Or maybe you even say, look, my boss doesn't care. My boss is lazy too. And you just kind of do the bare minimum to get by. But one of the ways, one of the ways that you be, can begin to thrive in your work is say, I'm going to work heartily as if Jesus is my boss, because that's what the Bible says, that Jesus is the one that's given me this assignment. And my job isn't mainly about myself or getting a paycheck or even pleasing my boss. It's about doing work that God has called me to do to love people and serve people and partner with him in this world. And therefore, I'm going to work hard. And when you start to actually show up to work, to say, I'm here to serve. I'm here to work hard. Jesus is the one that's given me this calling. Jesus is the one that's given me this task. And so I am going to work hard and serve people. What often happens, and I'm not saying this happens immediately, but what often happens is you begin to actually find more joy in your work. That if you show up and say, man, I'm going to serve. I am going to really take it seriously that Jesus has given me this work to love people and serve people, then there might be a lot of frustration still in your job. There might be a lot of people that are still frustrating in your job. But if you show up knowing how your work connects to God's work, and you show up saying, I'm here to serve people and love people and do the best I can, because that's how Jesus has called me to serve and love him. A lot of times what happens is you begin to actually like your job more. You begin to actually feel a deeper sense of purpose. You begin to find ways to serve in your actual work, and you might begin to find ways to just serve the people that you're working with. Maybe, I, look, I, I know everybody has different kinds of jobs. Some, some of you don't like your job because it's grueling and it's hard work, 
But I think sometimes it's even harder if you show up to work and there's nothing to do. Some people, I, I feel like the people I've talked to that hate their jobs the most, it's not because, man, I'm swinging a hammer all day and my muscles are really sore and I'm just getting ripped all day at work and I, I just hate getting so strong. It's usually not those people. <laughs> it's the people that are like, I'm scrolling all day long and I'm looking at numbers and, you know, just rows of numbers or, or they show up to work and really there's nothing to do. Just poor management systems and poor, and they're just like, okay, I guess I'm working and I'm just sitting here. But if you have a mindset that says, I'm showing up to serve and really go, how can I work with all of my heart? I think you begin to find opportunities to love people, to serve people, either in the job or you begin to create new ideas and new opportunities. And and I'm not saying this is going to definitely get you promoted, but a lot of times it will. And that's not the reason you should do this, but it might. It might get you further if you show up and just say, man, I'm here to love and serve people. I'm here to really work with all my heart. So this is the second way. And then third is that we have to fight for, we have to fight for a better joy. Because oftentimes we just feel our work is not meaningful enough. And I think this is not, this is a recent issue in our world. And I don't mean it's never existed before, but it's definitely pronounced and very prominent in 2018 and really, you know, the last 20 to 30 years. But most of us growing up as kids, if, you know, I see some of you in this room and you're over 50, and, and this didn't happen as much back in the day. So, you know, I, I, can, I can hear you and I can complain with you. But most of us that are younger, we were told you can be anything you want to be. You just set your heart to it. You just set your mind to it. You just follow your heart and you can be anything you want to be. You can, you can do, you know, the world is your oyster and, and you can do whatever you want to do. And you're told that over and over and over and over and over again in school and from your parents. And, and then you're told you can maybe go to college and you're told you can change the world. Told you can change the world. You can be anything you want to be and you can change the world. And then you graduate and you're just sitting at a laptop. Like, is this changing the world? Am I really, like, I can be anything. I, like, you ask kids when they're little, what do you want to be when you grow up? And everyone's, I want to be an astronaut, or I want to be a ninja, or I want to, you know, something awesome. No one's just like, I want to be an accountant, or I want to, <laughs> you know, I want to stare at a computer screen. That's what I want to be when I grow up. Whatever job stares at a computer screen. Actually, my little sister said, I want to do paperwork. And I was like, you're a weird kid, you know, but... <laughs> For some reason, she was just like, I want to do paperwork, whatever that means. It doesn't matter what the job is. I want to do paperwork. It's like, well, guess what? You're probably going to succeed in that. That's set the bar real low. Um, but, see, we're told this all the time. We're told you can be whatever you want to be. You can, you can do whatever you want to do. But then here's what happens. Here's what happens. A lot of times we begin to feel, man, my job is not very meaningful. My job's not very purposeful. My job is lacking this joy and this fulfillment that I thought it would bring because I could do whatever I wanted to do and be whatever I wanted to do and change the world. But now my job is just kind of lacking purpose. My job is lacking meaning. My job is lacking fulfillment. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. We're often asking work to do something it's not designed to do for us. We're asking work to be something for us that it's not designed to be for us. 
And you might think, man, I'll be, okay, maybe my job is lame right now, or maybe it's boring right now, but once I can start my own company, or once I get promoted, or once I get into a certain position, or once I kind of make this move, or five years from now, then I'll experience the fulfillment, the purpose. But we're still asking work to do something that it can't do for us, that it can't be for us. We're really asking it to save us. We're asking it to be the very source of our life and joy. And I love the way Paul says this in the same letter that we were looking at. He, he says that we have to, in the middle of this world, that one of the things that we have to do is set our mind on him. Here's what he says. He says, set your minds on the things that are above. And this is talking about Jesus. It's talking about who God is. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, this time in the future, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, here's what this tells us. It says, look, you're in the middle of a world, and it's so easy to just concentrate on right what's in front of you, what's right there. So easy to concentrate on that. And, and he doesn't spell all the implications of this out, but a lot of times what happens is if we're setting our minds on the things that are on earth, if we're setting our hearts on the things that are on earth, then those become the source of our joy. Those become the source of our satisfaction, our life, our purpose, our meaning. And if those things don't fulfill like work, then we're really disappointed. And we feel again, man, this is lame. This is not what I thought it was going to be. And he says, look, you're on the earth, but you need to set your mind on Jesus. You need to set your heart on Jesus. And he says, you've died. Which is, if you're a Christian, your old identity is gone. When Jesus went to the cross and died for you, and he took your sin and forgave you, and he gave you his righteousness and his worth and his value, when Jesus did all of that on the cross, it says that your old life is gone, and now you are hidden with Christ in God. Which is kind of a, a weird phrase, you know, you probably don't use that a lot, but to say your life is hidden with Christ in God is just to kind of say this is your life, and it's completely covered and buried and surrounded in who Jesus is. This, your, he is now the source of your life. He is now the source of your joy and your satisfaction. That's why it says this, Christ who is your life. Christ who is your life. But see, a lot of us, we think, man, my job, or not the job I have now, but the job that I want to have, the one that changes the world, the one that has meaning and fulfillment, that is life. And Paul says, look, Jesus is your life. And what that means is you have to set your minds on him. You have to set your mind on him. See, maybe, maybe you feel left out. And what I mean by that is maybe you have friends that they actually did this, right? They went to college or maybe they dropped out of college like Zuckerberg and are a billionaire. And maybe you don't have friends like that, but I'm just, you know, maybe they're a hundred air or whatever. Maybe they're just getting high and at least enjoying their life. I don't know. But, you know, you, you, maybe you have friends that are like, man, they, they've got it. They've got what, you, the, the, every, what everyone was told, right? They're enjoying their life, and their job is meaning for them. And, and maybe you feel left out, like, what the heck? I, I wanted that too. And, and maybe when you're doing your job, it's just kind of, it's just soul-sucking. And it, and it feels like, man, I, may, maybe you tried even. You know, maybe you gave it a shot. Maybe you started your own thing and it didn't work. Or maybe you, you said, man, I am going to go get, maybe you made some choices that you can even trace back and go, I screwed up. Man, if I would have done this differently, I would have had the job that brought fulfillment. If I would have made this decision and said, maybe, ah, and maybe you feel some of that. And I love this verse because you know what it says? It says this, 
It says, look, may, maybe you, and I don't know, okay? Maybe, maybe three years from now it's different. But here's what this says. Maybe you're never going to have the job that brings you the fulfillment and the joy that, that you thought you could have. Maybe not. And most of you are young, so you still got time. Some of you it's over, but some of you got time. <laughs> some, some of you still got time. Um, but maybe you're never going to have it. Or maybe it's going to be a long time. But what this says, what this says is your life is not in your job. You can have a deeper sense of joy. You can set your mind on him. You can set your heart on him. You can try to say, God, I want my joy and my life and my fulfillment not to be in my work, but in you. And, and here's what this means. When God looks at you, like when God looks down at you, when God looks at you, and maybe he sees you on Monday in a, in a numbing job, in a job that you're just going through the motions. Maybe, maybe I, I don't know what God sees when he sees you on Monday. When he looks at you and he sees coffee on your breath and he sees you know, several cups of coffee on your breath and, and, he, and he, he sees you and he sees you doing work that's numbing or joyless or boring or not what you thought you were going to do. He is not saying, man, I, I'm, I'm so disappointed that this is what's going on with you. He's saying, I'm your life. I'm your life. I'm your joy. Set your heart, set your mind on me. And then you can thrive no matter what your work is, no matter what your job is, because your job is not your savior. Your job is not the thing that is going to give you that fulfillment and joy and purpose that you maybe think that it can. This is, this is actually good news because you know what it means? Here, here's part of what setting your mind on him means. It means that the frustration that we might experience in our job the frustration that we experience reminds us, a job can never fulfill me. A job can never fulfill me. And it reminds us to then go to him and talk to him and pray to him and say, help me to know you more. Help me to know your, the joy that you can bring into my life more. God, help me to experience everything that I'm looking for in my job. God, help me to find that in you instead. Help me to experience fulfillment in you. Help me to experience purpose in you. Help me to experience that joy in knowing who you are. See, for some of us, a great gift might be an unfulfilling job because it actually drives us to find our deeper fulfillment and purpose in him. And Paul says, set your mind on him, which means we have to have an active reorientation to this. This won't naturally happen. Look, I'm saying you can thrive in the middle of a job you don't like. I'm saying that you can thrive in the middle of a job you don't like. You can. But we have to do what Paul says, which is set your mind on him. It means there's an active posture. It doesn't just happen with us being passive. It says I've got to actively come to him and say, my mind is going to all the things I hate about work. My mind is going to the, the stuff around me that I don't like and what I'm missing out on and what my friends on Instagram are able to do. How are you getting paid to travel the world? How are you getting paid you know, to do that? I don't get it. It says set your mind on him, which is to come to him and say, God, I need you. Help my heart. Help my focus to be on you. Help me to experience this joy in you. And fourth is, is this, is we can thrive in our work when we connect our work to God's work, when we show up to serve and we work hard. 
And then when we begin to not be lazy in our heart, but we fight for a better joy, and finally we just use it as a tool to, to grow. See, if, if the highest goal in our life, if the highest goal in our life is just enjoy your life and do whatever makes you happy, if that is the highest goal in our life, then there's no place for a job that's boring or a job you don't like. It's part of why in my generation, there's a lot of job switching, just continually searching. Okay, I did this one for a little bit. Now I'm going to try this one. Okay, I did that one. Now I'm going to try this one. Because if the highest goal in our life is fulfill yourself and just enjoy, if that's the highest goal in life, there's no place for a job that is difficult. There's no place for a job that's, that's boring. But if the goal of our life is to actually know Jesus and get to know who he is, then one of the most important things in your life might be a difficult job. One of the most spiritually helpful things in your life might be a difficult job. This, look, maybe some of you have no work issues right now. And of the stuff that we're talking about, too, a lot of this just applies to just the suffering in life or life experiences that are difficult and hard. Like if the purpose of life is just enjoy your life, then there's no place for hardship. There's no place for suffering. There's no place for things not going the way we want them to go. But if the highest goal in life is really to know who God is and enjoy him and be changed by that, then we all need difficult stuff in our life, whether that's your job or something else. The most important thing for your spiritual health the most important thing for your personal development and growth, the most important thing for you to become a different kind of person that loves other people and serves other people, the most important thing might be a difficult job. It might be a job that you don't actually like. It might be that because this job can actually begin to change you. It, it, can, begin to, it, it can begin to help you. You might never have the dream job, like I said. You might never have the success that you want. You might never land in the job that you want to do. You might never be able to wake up and say, I'm so thankful I get to do what I love every day. You might never have that. But your job might reveal to you who Jesus is. Your job might reveal to you more of who God is. Your job might actually be the very context that your faith is strengthened in a way you never thought was possible. But see, if our work is disconnected from God, we don't, our hearts are lazy. We're not working with all of our heart. Our hearts are just lazy, so we're not even thinking about this stuff. But see, a difficult job might be the very thing that brings you to go, there's some stuff about God that I have heard about, but now I really know it. There's some stuff about God that I, I learned that he's strong or he's comforting in the middle of suffering or he hears my prayers or, or he's gracious or he's kind. or he's, I, There's some stuff about God I heard about. But see, a difficult job might be the thing that actually leads you to experience these things about who God is. Because you need him. And you begin to depend on him. You begin to say, man, I, I need you. Now here, here's how Paul says this. Paul, Paul says that, he says this in, in his letter to the church in the city of Philippi. He says, look, I, I learned the secret of being content. And you know this verse if you've been around church stuff for a long time. It's a very popular verse. But he says, I learned the secret to be happy or to be content or to be joyful no matter what I'm going through. And he doesn't put work in this list, but this would be another thing that we could put in there. Think about this. What if you learn the secret to be content, to be joyful, to be happy in whatever job you are in? Here's what he says. I'm not speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. You can apply that to your work. Maybe you've been brought low in your work or maybe it's been super successful. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, talking about Jesus, who strengthens me. See, here's what this says. Paul says, no matter what situation I have, no matter what circumstance I have, I've learned the secret. And it's a secret because it's powerful. And if you learn it and you experience it and you tap into this, and you're able to face whatever life throws at you, you're able to face whatever job that you have. And Paul says, Here, here's the secret. Here's what I learned. I can do it. I can do whatever it is through him, through Jesus, who strengthens me. It's not just that I can do whatever because, you know, I, I can do it and I'm awesome. It's no matter what situation I'm in, I've learned the secret of contentment because I'm getting a strength not from my circumstance, but from him. I'm getting a strength not from my circumstance, but from him. Here, here's, here's what I'm saying. Here, here's how you thrive even when you don't like your work. You use it as a tool just as Paul is teaching us to actually get to know Jesus. Because your difficult job, your difficult job will reveal to you more of who he is that then strengthens you. Your difficult job will show you how much you really need Jesus. And then you're strengthened by him because he's there with you. Your difficult job will show you how much you are actually prone to sin that maybe you don't even think you struggle with. Whether that's impatience or harshness or lying or deceit or jealousy or bitterness. Your job will show you that. And then you'll be able to do it, though, because you've got Jesus and you're coming to him for forgiveness and you're coming to him to change you and you're coming to him to lead you. You see, Paul says, I learned the secret. I learned the secret. Man, if you knew this secret for your work, if you knew the secret to be able to say, I could work whatever job is thrown at me. I could get fired tomorrow and and start at the bottom again. I could keep going in the hard job that I'm in today and keep going in the boring job I'm in. I could keep being a stay-at-home mom where I'm never thanked and never loved and never, you know, I'm painting a harder picture, but, you know, maybe. And, and where it's just, I could, I could keep doing that no matter what circumstance I'm in. I can keep doing it because my strength, my strength isn't coming from the circumstance. It's coming from him. And the more I get to know him and the more I see, the more my job is hard, the more I experience who he is. The more the job brings out my weakness, the more I experience his strength. The more the job brings out my sin, the more I experience his grace. The more the job brings out how much I'm lacking, the more I experience how much he has. This is why Paul says this is the secret, that if you learn, you can thrive in whatever situation you're in. See, how can we thrive even when we don't like our work? First, you've got to connect your work to God's work. That's what sin does. It separates it. And then you got to show up and say, man, I'm here to actually serve with all my heart. I'm not working for my boss. I'm working for him. And you got to fight for a deeper joy by setting your heart and your mind on him. And you got to use it as a tool to actually say, man, this could actually be the thing that draws me even more to Jesus and begins to change me. Look, I, I, do you like your job? I don't know. Maybe it's difficult. Is, it, is your job difficult? Is it boring? Is it mundane? Is it not what you thought it would be? Maybe it's just to pay the bills. But you can thrive. You can thrive in the middle of your work. Maybe there's a better job for you. I told you, I'm not a career coach. Maybe there's a better job for you. 
Maybe there's a better job. But this, what we're talking about, doesn't apply later when you get the job you want. It applies now. Maybe you should look for a new job. I'm not saying stay in a job you hate for the rest of your life. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying how can you thrive in the middle of whatever you don't like? Because even when you get your dream job, if you get your dream job, I guarantee you there's going to be parts of it that are doing the exact same. You're still going to feel the curse of sin touching your work. How can you thrive in your work? This is, this is how we can. We have hearts and hands that are no longer lazy or slacking, but reconnect to who God is. And then work doesn't have to be a slog. It doesn't have to just be working for the weekend. It doesn't have to just be working for money. You can actually thrive in it because something spiritual is happening that's bringing about a deeper sense of joy. And you're there to actually love people and serve people. And you're there saying, I'm here for Jesus. That can transform whatever job that you have. And when we come to take communion, here's what we're remembering. We remember that Jesus entered into this world. His body was broken and his blood was shed. And you know what Jesus entered into the world to do? He entered into the world to save us from our sin. But part of what that is is to reverse the curse of sin and death on this world. He entered into this world to get rid of the curse of sin. Now, we, that starts one day. That'll be externally completely. We'll live in a world where we completely enjoy our jobs. And, and yes, by the way, the Bible teaches that in heaven, in the new kingdom, we will work. But it will be reconnected to God's work and we will enjoy it. And the curse that touches work will be gone. We'll love it. We'll enjoy it. It'll be completely fruitful and enjoyable. That'll happen one day. The external effects of sin and the curse of sin will be dealt with. But you know what we remember when we take communion? That, that he is the savior that comes to deal with the curse of sin in our hearts now, today. So that those struggles of our hearts finding identity in other things and those struggles of us not being able to live in the middle of circumstances and finding joy and the struggles of worshiping other gods or being disconnected from him don't have to happen. Jesus comes into the world to reconnect us to God. He comes into the world so that our work doesn't have to be separated from God. He reconnects us to God so that from the inside out, we begin to experience these things. So this is what we remember. As we take communion, I want you to just remember that Jesus has come to reconnect you to God. And that's not just an ethereal thing. It has practical implications for Monday. And so thank him for forgiving you of sin. Thank him for bringing you a new life. Thank him for doing what Paul said, where, where we are dead now and we live in him. And thank him for reconnecting you to a good father that we have that then can change and transform Monday. So this is what we will do when we take communion and we'll sing some songs to remember this good God and, and focus on who he is. Will you pray with me? Father, I, I thank you for um, just our time today. God, I, I thank you for inviting us to participate with you, to partner with you in work. And God, I even just pray a, a prayer for the moms that, that are working in work that is often unseen and unthanked and, and, and often it it's, can be difficult to understand or feel that that is work that matters or is connected to you. And maybe they even long for work that they had at a different time. But, but I pray, Lord, that you would help all of us even as we sing these songs and even as we take communion to, to remember that you have dealt with the curse of sin, that you have reconnected us to you, and we can now live life knowing you and enjoying you and, and whatever job we have, knowing that you're with us and that's not our ultimate satisfaction. 
So I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that doesn't have lazy hands or lazy hearts, but works with all of our heart for you. And pray this in your name, Jesus.